Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome, guys, to our 52nd episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. Now, since this is a special episode, we've decided to do something a little bit different than how we normally do our podcast. We're going to do sort of a lightning episode. We're going to hit about 10 different hot topic issues, just a few minutes apiece. The title of the episode uh, for today is going to be Wrestling for Truth. So, in the spirit of the title, let me now introduce to you in this corner, we have the theological heavyweight, Eki Tepsu (laughs) Pornchai. And of course, I am for today, Nathaniel, no nonsense, jolly. How'd you like that, brother? You had no idea that was coming, I think. No, I, I had no idea. In fact, this this is going to be an episode of surprises. Um, you mentioned 10 topics. And just so the audience knows, Nathaniel just revealed to me the first nine topics literally just before we got on the air, and he's keeping the 10th one a secret. So we're, we're, jumping, we're jumping into this. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I mean, I'm I'm really excited. Uh, God has, you know, just really blessed, you know, the podcast. So we've been able to do this for a whole year now. And, you know, I still get feedback uh, from other episodes that, you know, just where God has used it by his grace uh, to affect people who are listening. And we're so thankful for that. Um, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this episode, but there are some serious topics in here. But yeah, you're right. I only ju- just revealed what those are going to be to you, uh, at least nine of them. And then the 10th one, uh, we may or may not agree on. So we'll just have to see when we get there. All right. We, we, we might we might find that we're divided finally when we get to that 10th topic. So, so there, there's the drama there. There you go. The buildup. All right. Well, number one, by the way, for, you know, those of us who read our Bible, none of these will be contentious anyway. So we'll just throw that out there. Uh, number one, women, which, which is a contentious <laughs> precursor. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm, we, we've been uh, doing some heavy labor and moving this week. So I'm feeling a bit cheeky today. Uh, right. Number one, women pastors. Women pastors um, are not in the Bible, um, so you can't claim to be a women, well, a female pastor. You can't be a woman pastor and actually be obedient to the scriptures. It's absolutely impossible. And the moment you take that step to say, we're going to ordain a female pastor or I'm going to become a female pastor, you have now violated the scriptures and there is nothing that's going to stop you from making other compromises, whether you like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, women pastors are exactly like unicorns. They just don't exist. It, it's, a, it's a mythical creature. You know, I'm reminded of, you know, verses, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. You know, and, and then the Apostle Paul, lest anyone uh, come to us with the argument of, oh, well, you know, that's, that's contextualized. That, that was just what they were dealing with in their society. Well, actually, Paul, you know, as clever as he was and in being inspired by the Holy Spirit, foresaw that argument and dealt with it in the very same uh, next passage, right? So he says, for it was Adam who was created first and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. So he removes it from his own cultural context and takes it all the way back to the created order. And, and so this isn't, and we've talked about this on a previous podcast where this is an issue of ability, capability. Uh, this is an issue of 
God has given us uh, proper roles, and they're proper because uh, that's what He's decided to do, right? Um, and past the pastorate is for men only. And the elder position, the pastor role, is for men only. God got to decide that, uh, and so it's right there, pretty clear in Scripture. Yeah, that's rooted uh, right in creation uh, from the very beginning. That's a great example. Paul goes back to Adam and Eve. There is no culture that has been established at that point. Um, that is his basis. And and this is not us trying to say that men are superior because they're not. Um, we're saying that that is the role that God has given to men. And for women who understand that and embrace the role that uh, that God has given to them, um, it is amazing how well the marriage works. It's amazing how well um, the church works, how the family works. Um, everything just falls into place because you're doing things God's way. Now, can it be abused? Absolutely. There's anything and everything in this world can be abused. Everything can be abused because we are sinful creatures. Yeah. So when you see a system or a line of thought being abused, it's not necessarily because the directions they're following itself are sinful, but it's because the people who are following it are sinful. And so we want to keep that in mind. And I mean, that's a really good point, brother. That brings us to the reason why we constantly go back to scripture, right? I mean, we say uh, sola scriptura, and, and we say that because, I mean, one of the many reasons is because humans abuse things. They take things to the far extreme, they take them out of context. Um, but we have to base truth on what scripture says and live by that, not by what we see being played out uh, on the outside, right? Um, so that's the word of God. Well, since we're in Genesis, brother, we might as well just stay there for the next few. Um, you know, so the next one is the fact that there are only two sexes. That's it. Male and female. There's nothing else. Yeah, male and female from the very beginning, God made them um, to, to be made into the image of God. Together, they're made into the image of God. And it's not coincidental that not only male and female, but at the end of chapter two, you have the institution of marriage. And when God gave the um, the dominion, uh, the, the call for dominion for mankind from Genesis 1, 26, 20, so and multiply and, and uh, fill the earth uh, from 26 to 28, actually. Um, he, he called them to be fruitful, and in order for them to multiply, they got to procreate. Well, how are they going to procreate? They're going to procreate uh, through um, the institute of, of marriage. So we start with not only male and female, but that um, sexual relations only happen within the uh, marriage institution. And if you understand that, if you believe that, then a lot of the issues that we're dealing with today goes away. The issue of abortion um, practically goes away. The issue of the LGBTQ community, which is completely driven by sexual immorality, that goes away as well. Yeah, absolutely, brother. I mean, good points. You know, Genesis 127, you mentioned God created them male and female. Uh, there's nothing else, right? Two, male, female, that's it. Um, Genesis 5, 2, again, repeats it. He created them male and female. He blessed them, named them mankind on the day in which they were created. So, it, yeah, and and you, may, you made a really good point. This whole LGBTQA++, whatever, you know, the alphabet soup of immorality that we have today is solely based on man wanting to justify sexual perversion and immorality. Uh, that, that's all it is. You can't have any of those uh, types of relationships without that sort of being the central desire. Um, and so, yeah, we have two sexes, man and, and woman, and that's it. Well, that brings us to the next one, brother. Um, I, I can't even believe I'm having to say this. 
but I'm going to say it anyway, because in our world, it's necessary. Only women can have children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you say that men can have uh, children, well, now you're getting to transgenderism. And now the roles that God has given to us uh, really don't matter. Um, The design that he has created for us doesn't matter. And it's amazing that even when I come across some people who um, claim to be Christians and also transgender, you know, I will point out that you are the gender that God has made you to be. And they will agree and they say, yeah, I was made to be in a woman, even though I was in a man's body. And uh, and so it's it's it never ceases to amaze me just how they will um, distort the truth and distort the scriptures in order to justify their own um, their own desire to live the way they want to live. And so the whole born this way argument, whatever it may be, look, God is God does not make a mistake. Um, we all have our cross to bear. We all have different um, types of issues that uh, we deal with. Not um, no two people um, struggle with the exact same sins. Um, but uh, for for a person to say that, um, well, this is how I feel and this is what I'm going to do. Well, you know, man is uh, man is man is sinful. And uh, if we take that logic to um, its logical conclusion, then basically man should be able to do whatever is right in his own eyes. Yeah. And, it, you know, one of my big problems with the, the many problems with this kind of thing is, I, and I think sometimes uh, those who would claim to be Christian and fall in that category, well, there, there's a lot of issues there. But one is, I mean, you're quite literally shaking your fist at God and saying, why have you made me this way? Right. You're, you're accusing God of, of making you wrongly. You're accusing him of a mistake. Right, you're attributing effectively. You're you're calling God a sinner. I mean, that's what's implied in that whole thing. I don't know that we really think about that, but that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, a person is saying God has made me um, internally to be one way, and then physically to be another way. Um, well, that's a contradiction, and so that that says that uh, God made a mistake. That it's almost the idea of um, this uh, manufacturing line or a bunch of workers all creating the same thing, but human error gets into the process and things just go haywire every once in a while. Well, that's that's not God. God is not like man. He is perfect in everything that He does. And you're right; they may not come straight out and say that they're shaking their fist at God. But in essence, um, you can't claim to be another gender other than what you're physically created without um, questioning God's decisions in creating you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, again, there, there's just so many issues with that. But you know, we come back to the whole thing, right? Only, only women can have children. Um, it, physically, it's just physically impossible. And still, I, I sound, I feel like a crazy person just having to say that in today's society. And, and, and we know that. I, I think, um, I, I don't know if anyone, if anyone truly believes that men can have children, uh, then they, that's mental illness. There's, there's other issues there that are severe. I, I don't No normal functioning, reasonable human being can believe that. So I think a lot of people are just playing into it to get attention. At least I hope that's the case. Uh, otherwise that kind of thing is quite literally insanity, right? It I mean, is. it is insane yeah, it, to believe yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people will say, well, you're just focusing on one sin to the exclusion of others. Well, I mean, at any given church, if it's a Bible 
um, believing church. We, we preach the Bible. Um, we're going to preach what the Bible says. We're going to exhort our people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which God has called us. But the Bible is also clear that homosexuality is a form of sexual deviancy that reflects really the depravity of man. Because I mean, even in Romans 1, when God hands them over, um, what they ha- what he hands them over to is really this kind of depraved mind that engages in these sexually sexually deviant behavior, and it's even well known within the transgender community. And I had this confirmed to me recently by someone who heard a message I gave about homosexuality, and he has a friend that um, is in the transgender community, and uh, and, and obviously he's been witnessing to that person, but that person confirmed that, yeah, within the transgender community, that pedophilia is a real problem. Um, and that's, uh, that, that should raise some red flags, um, if not the act of transgenderism itself. Yeah. Um, it, is, mm-hmm. it is deviant, um, sexually, sexually immoral, and it is in v- many ways um, a sign of God's judgment already. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think we have to recognize that any, you know, any environment where you know, sexual perversion is becomes the identity of the person. There will be nothing wholesome in in that, right? I, I mean, once you go to that place where you're identifying yourself as something that God explicitly forbids, uh, then it should be no surprise to us when we find all of that behind the scenes. I, it, there's no innocence in something like that. So, yeah, absolutely, brother. I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, and and even if you just look at the average number of partners, and there have been studies and stats that show the average number of partners for a, and we're not even talking about Christians, because obviously if you're a Christian, you should only have one partner, but uh, for the um, average heterosexual, um, obviously um, not living according to God's word, um, they have a certain number of partners, and and we would say that that's sin, and they need to repent to that. But when you compare that to the number of partners that people engaged in this sexual deviant lifestyle is, it's not even close. It's 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 magnitudes, um, it's orders uh, higher than uh, than the heterosexual community, and that just goes to show just how much um, it leads people into um, into just a greater deviancy. Yeah, yeah. So if if the conclusion, if, if someone's having a baby, they're a woman. They're they're not a oh, what was that ridiculous phrase? A birthing um, person. Birthing oh, person. Right. Right. Oh yeah. no, it's uh, women are the only ones who you know can give birth. I mean, you go to First Timothy two fifteen. Not the point of the passage, but it says, but women will be preserved through childbirth. Not not. Not birthing persons, not not men and women, right? Uh, it's just women, and we see all all that through Scripture. So, well, brother, our next one, you know, just just keep going down the list here. Uh, feminism. Now, we did an entire podcast on feminism, so I encourage yeah, you to go did. back and listen to that. We really deal with it biblically, go through the history of it. Uh, but yeah, the conclusion, which is what we have here, is that feminism is actually just evil. Absolutely. And uh, this this ties into the, um, I think it was the first topic you brought up, which was about female pastors, yep. um, which really came out as a result of the rise of feminism. And uh, I have some sympathy for a lot of the reasons why feminism began. Okay, I understand that there were men who abused their power, who are very, um, who are like tyrants, um, abusive, yeah. um, whether um, emotionally or, or physically, but especially physically. Um, we, we know that those things are wrong. And, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm counseling couples, uh, one of the first things that I tell husbands is that, you know what, it is not your job 
to make sure that your wife submits to you. That's between her and the Lord. Your job is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So we understand those abuses, and uh, and and even now, uh, you know, the much of the left talks about how the right doesn't give enough attention to abuses against women, and there may be some truth to that. I mean, I. I don't know. I'd have to look at each of those individual circumstances that are being discussed. But it's certainly that for each of us at our churches, those of us who are pastors, we have to take that very, very seriously. However, that being said, because those abuses exist, it doesn't mean um, that uh, that that women um, should um, become like men, or even in the case of modern day feminism, women should not see themselves as even higher than men. So, I mean, the modern day feminism is really. Uh, committing the same crime that they accuse men of, um, which is uh, kind of this uh, sexism where you hate the opposite sex and you only value those of, of your own own gender. And so, yeah, a feminism, uh, again, it's just, it, it goes away from God's word. It, it does not pay attention to or give heed to um, or respect God for what he says um, is our, our roles. And when things go wrong, um, they'd rather just rebel against God rather than stopping to ask, okay, where did things go wrong? How did we disobey God um, in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, again, it's important what is taught in in the current feminism waves. And you, we can, you can go back to our podcast and we break all that down. But, you know, feminism is just rooted in godless secular ideology, postmodernism. And, and again, the whole premise of it is ignoring the the roles that God has created men and women to be in. And so, you know, I, I, I view feminism predominantly as you know, fighting against God, because that's really what it is in all truth. And you made a good point, brother, you know, and both of us would be very quick to say that neither one of us would tolerate, um, you know, abuse in our churches, right? If we found out about that, we would deal with it and address it. And so, uh, you know, the whole argument of, you know, the men who abuse this and force their wives to submit or, or what they believe is submitting. Yeah, I mean, we've made that comment earlier that people abuse everything in Scripture on, on both yeah. sides, right? You, you can be too harsh and strict. You can be too liberal. You can sin on both of those sides. But again, we've got to come back and say, well, what is God's expectation? And just like you, you know, if I'm counseling a married couple, I, when I'm with the husband, I'm going to deal with the husband's sins. I'm going to deal yes. with the husband. I'm going to tell the husband that he should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Uh, when I'm with the wife, you know, we're going to talk about what godly biblical submission looks like, what submitting to your husband as unto the Lord looks like, right? Um, and and we're, we're the one isn't responsible for the other, and so we don't deal with it that way. Uh, but the world kind of uses that as an affront, I think, to ignore the, the real issues. But um, yeah, you, you go to Titus 2, 3, and 5, and we've talked about this before, but this gives a good picture of uh, of just what's contrary to feminism it says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior it, let me just stop there isn't it interesting how often do you find just very reverent feminists i don't see that too often no no yeah and, and that's the that's the problem is the fruit and then i remember um uh, gabriel hughes had posted something to the effect and i can't remember the exact sin he was mentioning but he said something like um everyone who supports this sin you'll notice that they don't have godly behavior yeah. and uh, and that's true for a lot of these topics that we're talking about that people that stand against these topics just look uh, just look at uh, their behavior when they stand against god's positions on these topics you see from their behavior that th this is this is not godly fruit and 
in the case of feminists, and, and whenever this comes up on Twitter, um, you know, I know we, we're, we're going to get attacked. There's going to be feminists, um, Christian feminists, I should say, um, who in their bio uh, will talk about liberation for women and all that, which is, which is kind of those buzz terms for, for feminism. They'll, they'll attack us, and they'll not only attack us, but they'll, t- they'll attack our wives as well. So my wife on a few occasions has jumped to my defense and has talked about how she's glad to, uh, for the way that God designed things and she wouldn't have it any other way. And, uh, and, and she's been slandered. Um, people yeah. questioning whether she's telling the truth or she is being coerced or in one case, uh, one woman questioned whether she was a robot. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so yeah. that, yeah. And so that, that happens, uh, that happens too. And when you see that, you're like, well, that's, that's the fruit that, that you take on when you take these positions, you just have to start reading into the motives of other people and start to accuse them. When anyone who knows um, my wife and I'm sure your wife in person um, knows that they're not they're not oppressed. Um, they're you know they love the Lord. They're thriving under the Lord. It doesn't mean that we're perfect husbands. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be situations where we've got to work out uh, some differences and and we have to repent of things on on both sides. Um, but uh, you know they're they're women who are. Um, thriving um, under the under the Lord uh, in the role that the Lord has given them, and they wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, and we talk about fruit. Let me continue on in this passage. I mean, we we didn't even get through the first sentence, right? That's just the first phrase in in Titus. I mean, we talk about the, the difference between a godly woman and what feminism creates. So the next one is not malicious gossip. So I mean, you just talked mm. about that, right? Nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, and good is defined by God. And and listen to this next part, right? So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. I that's a that's almost exactly opposite of what feminism teaches at least practically right right yeah i mean feminism really teaches women to um, be independent to be you know the popular word that often is used is fierce you know to be this fierce woman to uh, be um uh, you know um to actually be a source of intimidation to other men Um, i remember seeing this uh, woman just recently um saying that some people fear the fire um but she said but i am the fire so she's trying to make herself into the source of intimidation to others so they 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 turn themselves into um these types of people that um are difficult to get along with they're they're very prideful they're very rude um they will slander um anyone who disagrees or who goes against uh, their kind of narrative and and really at root what you find is that even though feminism they'll they'll say that they're all about standing up for um, women's rights and and women's um, uh, ability to express their own opinions what you find is that they don't tolerate women's opinions when those opinions align with yeah, god's word absolutely and so you you see that hypocrisy there yeah, I mean, it, it, it. Satan doesn't change really at all, does he? We go back to the garden and he promises something that accomplishes exactly the opposite of what he's promising, right? Right. And, and feminism mm-hmm. does the same thing. I mean, so our, the passage continues on, right? So this is the picture of what God expects from uh, from a woman that's uh, you know, faithful to him. So it says uh, te- that the older women teach young women to love their hu- to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure. Um, I, I mean, well, let's just stop there. I can't tell you how many just vulgarities that I hear yeah. and see coming out of you know 
feminists, especially, I mean, today we, I, I'm seeing more and more of kind of the militant type feminists, right? The, uh, the guys who are out on the street and picketing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then it, and, and then the next one, I mean, workers at home, I mean, that, yeah. right. That is something that the feminist movement basically shuns and looks down on. If you're a woman loving your family, loving your husband, loving God, and you're working at home, you're taking care of the home, Right. Feminists look down on that. Yeah. And, and it's amazing that that they would. Uh, so they, they look down on it as if um, a woman is not allowed to find fulfillment uh, in that, uh, that they're inferior in some way, which really betrays what they say they're really all about, which is defending women. Uh, you know, the truth is that for women that really embrace um, their role at the home, um, they do marvelous work. And, and you know, I, I could probably spend uh, the, the next, uh, this next year, if, if I were to walk away from the pastor and said, you know what, I'm just going to devote myself to being um, someone who takes takes care of the house. Well, after a year, I'm sure I would get a lot better. I would do a lot of things uh, better. But my my wife, I, I don't know that I would um, develop the, the kind of um, love and, and attention to detail that my wife mm-hmm. has for it. Mm-hmm. And, and women yeah. just, uh, you know, when they're in that role, they, they thrive in that role. And for my wife, I can tell you, though she's um, not working, she works harder than a lot of people that have got um, your normal secular jobs um, because she is, yeah. from the moment uh, she gets up to the time that she goes to sleep, she is often working away at something in addition to ministry um, at the church. So, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing to, to, get, um, to, to get really um, condescending about. And that's why we kind of developed that motto, um, make barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen great again, right? <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. We, had, uh, we had Natalie, um, Natalie, one of, uh, you know, she's a great person to follow on Twitter. And uh, she took a picture of herself exactly like that just before she uh, gave birth to um, her latest child. So, um, so God bless her. And, uh, and again, um, for women, don't, don't treat the, the kitchen or the home as, uh, with, with, you know, don't despise it. It's actually, yeah. it's a wonderful blessing when you embrace it, because I mean, the people that we have over our house, the dinners that we have, the meals that my wife is able to make for other people, um, there, there's just so many blessings that come from a household that is well-kept. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I love that picture that uh, Natalie put up. I thought that was great. Um, But, you know, and so, yeah, your wife does work, brother. And I think that's one of the things we need to change. I mean, people often often ask, you know, what is my, you know, does my wife do anything? Sometimes I get the question just like that. And I'll be like, well, what do you mean do anything? Um, I couldn't function. You know, my wife works full time. And it's in the home. And there are a million little things that she does that that makes such a huge impact. Everything from, you know, when we have guys from the church over to um, how she helps me when I'm uh, preparing for whatever. Um, I, I mean, I just think of the little things like when I'm yeah. in sermon prep, um, if people on the outside mm-hmm. saw what she does uh, to help me stay focused you know, the feminists would go nuts, right? I mean, little things, she brings me, you know, snacks so I don't have to interrupt my train of thought, uh, you know, brings my coffee. She keeps the house clean. She prepares meals, um, you know, just like your wife, when people are coming over, she makes it inviting and warm. I mean, those are important parts of the Christian life. Um, And God has given women just, it seems, a special love and care to deal with all those little personal details that make people yeah. feel warm and inviting that to be honest, I, 
I, I love them, but man, if I had to do it, I would just miss a lot of those things, right? I just, I, I'm not wired for that. Oh, absolutely. And, and I can tell you, I, th- I think this is true for the majority of guys. Um, if it weren't for our wives, we'd be eating burgers and pizza every day. Um, and uh, our, our house uh, would uh, slowly become um, a mess. Um, we would never go to see a doctor. We would never get health checkups. You know, and there are exceptions to that, but um, uh, most couples I know, um, it's the wife who actually looks after the husband in those ways and, and yeah. makes sure that, hey, you know what, um, you've had a lot of fried food this past week, so why don't you um, have some more vegetables? Um, let's stay away from those fried foods. Let's get some some healthier meals into you. Let's drink more water. Um, hey, you've got a you've got a doctor's appointment uh, coming up. I already uh, scheduled that for you, and you know it's 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 amazing. They yeah. they look out for us in so many ways, and it's like what the proverb says: um, He who finds a, a good wife finds a good thing, and yeah. uh, those those wives um, really just minister to us, uh, and and that's you know really the heart of what God meant when she um, that when the woman was created to be a helper to the man because she really complements the man in ways that the man really needs, um, and at the same time the man if he's doing his job should be providing what the woman cannot provide for herself. Um, so working together, they complement each other and they become more the image of God together than they are apart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although, brother, I may have to cut that section out about vegetables and things like that. I don't want my wife to hear that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. And so, so workers at home, the passage, right? And I, we're stuck on this one for a bit, but it's just this whole passage just destroys the feminist movement. Yeah. The very next word after workers at home is kind. I mean, we kind of hit on that already, but mm. I just, I have never in, in honesty, never met even so-called reform feminists, um, one that I would identify their character as being one of kindness. Yeah, and, yeah, that's... and again, you know, that should say something, right? Yeah, it, it should. And again, it's, it's uh, you know, Jesus said about uh, false prophets, you shall know them by their fruit. Well, it's not just for false prophets. It's for everyone. You go to Galatians 5 yeah. and you see the fruit of the spirit and the, the, the deeds of the flesh. And uh, we think about the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, and the first two things it says about love, it is patient, it is kind. Yeah. Yeah, kindness is one of those things that when you meet someone who's kind, that person is such a joy to be around. Um, you're not uncomfortable. You, you, you feel at home with that person. You, you feel safe with that person in terms of you know, them not uh, doing something malicious uh, to you, either in front of you or behind your back. Um, kindness, it, it just goes hand in hand with hospitality. Yeah. And when you have people over at your house and you're trying to express the love of God, um, you can't have meaningful fellowship without kindness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for for those who would profess to be, you know, Christian feminist or, or whatnot, I mean, think of Col- uh, Colossians 3.12, right? So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, it, it, you know, if, if you're if your point of view, if your worldview uh, has to exclude or just by its nature excludes those things, then it's not really compatible with Christianity or it's just not at all, right? Um, I, I mean, our passage so goes on to say being subject to their own husbands. I mean, that's really the thing that, you know, all the, all the feminists are writhing at after I said that, be subject to your own husbands. And, and then we wrap up with the point, right? The, what ultimately the effect should be so that the word of God will not be dishonored, right? Mm. And so when we, 
submit ourselves, both men and women, to the roles God has for us. We're doing it out of love for God and so that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's the the highest reason behind our desire to do these things, right? It's all comes all back to that. Yeah, amen. And uh, I, I'm just thinking about a tweet that uh, Christian, uh, the guy at my church, he tweeted this, I think, yesterday, talking about how unbelievers will begin to blaspheme God because of our behavior if we're not mm. honoring the, the Lord uh, with our, in our conduct. And, and that is so true. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that like to say, you know what, you can live your life however you want to live after you've become a believer. Um, but the truth of the matter is, when it comes to unbelievers around you, if you live like them, your faith has no credibility. There, there's, yeah. there's no motivation for them to ever ask you to give a defense for the hope that is within you. There's no motivation for them to find out what is the, the secret behind your contentment and behind your hope. In order for them to ask you that, they need to be able to see a difference. They need to be able to see self-control and a quality of character that um, cannot be found um, typically in the world. Yeah, and I mean, not only that, but we're we're made new, right? And so I, I I genuinely have issues when people go to that place of well, we can look like the world, and although we're saved, um, I mean, that's that's that kind of wrong thinking. I mean, Paul talks about how you know may it never be that we go back to the very sins that cause death that we're freed from. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. over and over he speaks to how we've died to sin. Um, now. You know, Peter, I think it's first Peter tells us, uh, calls us to be holy in all of our behavior, right? Because God is holy. And of course, he's referencing the Old Testament passage that says, uh, be holy as God is holy. And so, no, absolutely. There's the expectation that our life looks different from those around us. And if that's not there, I mean, if there's no fruit of that, then we need to genuinely ask the question, um, you know, are, are you truly born again? Uh, but yeah, so let, let's move on, brother. We, we spent a lot of time on the feminism thing there, but I, I think, again, scripture is just super clear there. So the next one, and, and this is one we've dealt with, man, especially in, over the last year. In fact, I have never seen um, the need for this understanding in my lifetime more than just this last year, year and a half. And that's the fact that Christ is king over the church, not the government. Yeah, we're we're seeing this, and especially with the shutdowns, and especially what we're observing in um, in Canada, um, and and that is continuing. It's not just James Coates; there are other pastors um, who are seeing their churches shut down, pastors who are being sent to jail, and there's a lot of Christians that surprisingly are defending these actions, and they're defending these actions, saying that well, the church should uh, follow the government. Well, look, uh, we've been in a shutdown for over a year. And when you look at the statistics, um, the, for instance, in the United States, the states that have been the most shut down are, are the states that have some of the biggest problems. Mm-hmm. You know, what, meanwhile, you have states, Florida and Texas, and especially Florida, that's been completely open since, what, last fall? And, you know, they're, and they're getting on with life. Uh, if that's true in a secular sense, I mean, how much more urgency must we have to have in order to gather together um, to, to be the church, which when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building. We are talking about the people, but we're not just about people who are scattered. We're talking about people who gather together in order to worship the Lord, just as God's people has done all the way back from the beginning when 
God had uh, the Israelites uh, build the tabernacle. The idea is that at least once a week, they're going to gather together in order to worship the Lord. And we do that because the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the head of the church. Yeah. Um, it's uh, certainly not the government. It's not the Pope. It's not any other earthly figure, but um, it is Jesus Christ. And there is nothing in the Bible um, that tells us that we should be suspending the gathering of, of the believers for any sustainable period of time. For any period of time, really, though, you know, I, I can, you know, I can understand in certain extreme circumstances, you may, um, you may make an exception for that, um, but, uh, but really, for a whole year and and beyond, yeah, you know, at some point, you've got to be able to say that, you know, what, obeying Christ is better than obeying the the government. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think it, you know we have to come back and ask the question: um, Does God regulate His church? Right. And if the answer is yes, and since the answer is yes, the next question is, okay, well, what does that look like? Uh, does God expect us to gather? What does that look like? And we have all of this in scripture, right? And we're not supposed to forsake the gathering of the brethren. We we meet on the Lord's day. Um, we have parameters you know, around what that looks like. And there's some freedom in there, but what we don't have the freedom to do is just simply say, well, I know this is what God wants and, and what scripture commands, but we just feel like it's better if we don't do that. Um, I, I mean, we're overstepping our bounds by doing that. We don't have the authority to do that. God says we meet. And, you know, I, I would agree with you. And it's, I guess it's good to say again, you know, at the beginning of all the COVID stuff, it, it was very new. We didn't know how dangerous it was. It genuinely at the beginning um, was a pastoral shepherding thing, looking after, after the people saying, okay, well, let's just, maybe we won't meet for a few Sundays until we just see really what this is. Um, but, you know, the the moment, I mean, the moment that the government said, it's okay if 25,000 people march in the street, you know, hand in hand, Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah. But if 50 people in the church gather, no, you're going to kill everyone. You can't do that. At that moment, um, I think just the discernment that every pastor should have uh, uh, by way of just qualification um, should have led us to the conclusion that, okay, this isn't as serious as we've been told. We now need to be meeting again, uh, you know, out of obedience to scripture. And and like you say, here we are over a year yeah. from now, and we still have churches that are closed. And at this point, I mean, I'm at the stage where I am just, I'm, I'm very happy to say, if your church is still closed for those reasons, find a new church. That church has stopped functioning uh, the way God has said that it needs to find one that's mm -hmm. open. We're so far beyond that, that I just don't leave personally a whole lot of room for other circumstances. Now, let, let me just throw in there. It, there may be some communities, you know, where there's, you know, active COVID stuff. You've got elderly people, but generally speaking, if your church is still closed, find a new one. Yeah, amen and amen. And you're right. That was a great point. Uh, there are some people who are shut-ins. Um, they've got severe health uh, complications or, or concerns. Um, that we're not saying that uh, that they're um, you know that we're not condemning them. Right. So we understand that uh, those situations exist. And even before the COVID shutdown, uh, you, we've had, and I know just about every church of any size um, has. Um, elderly who are shut in and they just they simply can't make it to these services for one reason or another and and there's another aspect to this and and this is 
you know, I, I, I never want to, we never want to rely on experience um, alone. We want to go to the Word of God and see what it says. But as you pointed out, it is very clear. We see the clear example throughout all Scripture that God's people gathers. That's the whole point of the word that Jesus used for the word church, ecclesia, when he first used it. It meant congregation um, or assembly or, or gathering. Um, yeah. The understanding that when he said, I will build my church, I will build my group of disciples who will gather together. That was the idea there. Um, so we we understand that. And experientially, though, it's amazing that the most godly individuals I know, the ones who are the most hungry for the word, the ones who are really walking with God, it is uncanny just how much they miss the church when the church cannot gather. Um, that people that, uh, that came back, even after just a few weeks of not being able to meet with the church, came back with tears in their eyes saying, yeah. saying how much they missed it. And uh, for someone to be away from church for a whole year and still encourage others to say, you don't need to gather, you, you, can, you can do church online. Well, I have to question if they've really, really tasted the fruit of being a part of a church or whether yeah. church has been something that they just go to on Sunday and then they forget about it after, after they leave. Because if that's the case, yeah, of course, you're not going to see the urgency behind it. Yeah. Well, and you make some good points there, brother. I mean, we the church is defined as a group who gathers, right? Take that away, and and you've left just the very definition of of who and what we are. Um, and and, I, and then I just think about all the all the other uh, problems that arise. So if you're not gathering, you quite literally cannot be obedient to Scripture as a believer because how do you exercise the, the one another's if you if you never gather? Right. You, you just can't. Right. Um, so you go a year w- without being able to really love one another, without being able to support one another, without being able to encourage one another, edify one another. You certainly can't use the majority of the gifts. Um, now, you, you can, to some extent, you, you can do some of those things, you know, via Zoom and all that, but it's just never the same as, as when you're face to face, right? Person to person. Because God didn't create us to be separate like that. God certainly knew we would have COVID and we'll get to that in our next one. Um, he knew we would have the technology that, that we have. I would argue that we have it, you know, because he's allowed it and he's given us the wisdom and grace to make these things. Um, and yet he still defines the church in a way that describes us as a people who are meeting together, assembling together, right? So there's no room for a long-term separation um, and and to think you can do that and still be faithful to Scripture, or you can do that and not suffer in your spiritual life, um, is at best ignorance, you know. And at worst, as you say, you know, maybe maybe you've never really been a part of the church to start with, um, if it's not had any effect on you being separated from the church. Yeah, absolutely. And even in a secular sense, and I've mentioned this example many times, but even in the secular world, uh, we understand that there is a great benefit to -to face-to-face meetings rather than just video conferencing. Video conferencing technologies have come a long way. Um, We're even using Zoom technology now in order to uh, record this uh, podcast. Um, But as, as far as video conferencing technologies have come, Talk to any successful salesman, talk to any successful person who depends upon making sales to clients. And if they have an important sale to make, 
there is absolutely no excuse for them not to be there in person to, to meet with the person. Um, everyone understands that because you, you can't develop the same quality of connection with a person without being there in person in front of them. And that's in a secular world. Um, yeah. So if that's yeah. true in a secular world, why wouldn't we see the same truth in a spiritual sense? And it is true spiritually. It's even more true spiritually because as we gather together, it's not it, it's us with fellow believers um, worshiping God together with the power of the Holy Spirit um, in, in our presence. Um, that that's all it's just it's just a non-negotiable it is totally essential yeah and you know i i think when you have a better understanding of the the better your understanding is of what church really is it really helps with this right and you know we we're all going to die an earthly death at some stage uh, that's going to happen for all of us Uh, but you know it's this covid thing as it's gone on you know we see people who are clinging on professing believers who are clinging on so much to um, what they perceive to be as a, a life. They, they don't want to get sick, right? And so, they're, they're risking spiritual life for that. And yeah, I mean, for something that we're all going to meet death one day, I mean, for me personally, I'm like, Lord Jesus, if I get sick and die, praise God, uh, mm-hmm. I will be wake up in a perfect place tomorrow. Um, go ahead and just take me right now. Uh, now, now I, I, hopefully that happens later rather than sooner. But um, yeah. just w- with a right perspective, even just that fear of death that I think has gripped a lot of believers, um, it, it gets put back in the place it's supposed to be. Uh, earth, yeah, earthly death. I, yeah, well, you know, Paul says that right to to be uh, to be absent here on earth is to be present with the Lord. So yeah. 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 And then even when he was um, debating about whether to stay or go in, in the book of Philippians, oh, yeah. He, um, yeah. he talked about that tension, but he said to go and to be with Christ is very much better. I mean, there was no question in his mind what the better solution was. The only reason why he wanted to stay was for the edification of the church. Um, but yeah, you, you make a solid point. I mean, I, I do believe that there are real genuine believers who are struggling with this. And I know of at least one uh, personally who I would consider a, a very, very godly individual, um, but struggling very much uh, with her health and, and trying to um, balance between, um, you know, between being uh, with the body of Christ and uh, maintaining um, uh, her own, own health. And again, you know, if there are real health concerns, we, we don't blame you for, you know, um, being safe. But, you know, at the same time, you know, for a lot of us, we, we've got to ask, is our life being led by faith or in fear? Um, yeah. Because we, we have to remember, too, that, you know what, God has already appointed the day that we're going to die. He has appointed the day that we're going to die. He has appointed how we're going to die. And so we actually can't extend our own lives um, in any kind of way. Now, that doesn't mean that you live recklessly and carelessly, right, but right. you do trust that God is ultimately in control. And you know what? If you end up dying because you gather together with the people of God, God's not going to rebuke you for that. Um, that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it you know, again, again, it, we see, we see the apostles and it's just to bring some other perspectives into the, you know, life um, it is, we've kind of got off topic a little bit here, but look at the apostles, how many times they were almost beaten to death. And then they go back in and preach in the same place, right? I mean, yeah. that just evidence of the things of God being so far superior 
uh, you know, than our safety here in life. Um, it, Christ is over the church, not the government. Uh, let me just read a short verse here, Acts 4, 17, 12, because I, quite frankly, I'm getting tired of people here saying, Romans, Romans. Um, well, read Romans in, in context and use a little bit of common sense. But let me read this because, you know, here, er, this is the response that the apostles had. Um, they're, you know, an example. So, let's just see. Uh, so, it says, so this is the um, religious leaders of the day speaking to Peter and John, right? So it, they say, but so that will not spread any further among the people. And they're talking about the gospel of Christ. Let us warn them, them being the apostles, not to speak any longer to any person in his name. And when they have summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, make your own judgment for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is an important passage, I think, because these are um, people in position. Those positions were an authority in the church. They were God given without any doubt, but see, they cross their, uh, their lines of authority. And so we have the apostles here, mind you, they're doing it in a right manner. Right, they're they're not antagonistic. Uh, they're not combative. They're just simply saying, "Well, you, you judge for yourself, but we're going to do what we know is right. We're not going to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard, being the teachings and person work of Jesus Christ." Um, and so we have that example in Scripture. Yeah, and I think that's uh, an example of what we talked about earlier about Christ being the head of the church. Yeah, yeah. You know, ultimately, realizing it's Christ and and not the government. And, uh, you know, that uh, passage you were kind of um, alluding to earlier, uh, there's Acts 14, 11, where, where Paul was stoned and he was dragged out of the city. They thought he was dead. And it said in verse 20, but while the disciples stood around, he got up and entered the city and yeah. then went away with Barnabas to, to Derby the next day. And, and Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that these light and minor afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, we recognize that Christ is the head of the church, not the government, not man we follow what he does but we also recognize that the afflictions that we go through um we we do it for the glory of god uh, knowing also that god promises us um treasure in heaven for it as well yeah absolutely well brother let's hit our next view here um this leads us right into the next one god is sovereign over the earth and all that happens um Man, I, I mean, we could we've we've done oh we did an entire podcast on this right so you can go back and Talk listen to yep. yeah, yeah go back and listen to our attributes of God series it's really good um, but yeah God no one is and you said this earlier and no one's going to die before God's ordained for that to happen so if if God's ordained for you to get COVID um, and you think you can prevent that by sitting in your bedroom something's going to happen you're going to still get COVID and you're going to die from it if that's God's ordained plan for your life. Again, doesn't mean we should be, you know, reckless or foolish, um, but we just have to understand that our very life is, in fact, in God's hands completely in every way, shape, or form. Um, And so, to shrink back from obedience to Scripture, from loving one another, from doing those things God's called us to do, um, is shouldn't even be, you know, part of our mindset. Um, We we still, again, we still use wisdom. Uh, but but we need to do those things knowing and having a peace, right? Knowing that we're not going to go before God calls us to go. And, and when, you know, when he calls us home, then that's it. And, and so we can function with wisdom, uh, exercise discernment, uh, but not be afraid of losing our life because God's sovereign over that. 
Yeah, and when we say God is sovereign, we mean two things. One, he is the highest in authority, but the fact that he is the highest in authority means he has control. I mean, he has control over a situation. And we talked about this when we spoke about God's sovereignty. It does not excuse our responsibility. Right. God is sovereign, but man is also responsible. Um, so man is responsible for his decisions, even though God is sovereign over um, the outcomes of all those things. So it may, it may very well be that we get COVID, we die, and we have to, you know, we pass from this earth. And in one case, you might have a person who's been intentionally reckless with it, um, uh, purposely exposing himself to people and not even doing so to share the gospel, but really just going out and uh, and um, being with crowds that maybe he shouldn't be. And then he gets it and he did it in a very irresponsible way. Whereas on the other hand, someone um, has gone to church and is sharing the gospel and is just wanting to honor God with his or her life. And in that case, you know, the, the, the second person is acting in faith. The first person is just acting in foolishness. Yeah. Um, so there is a responsibility of mankind, but the responsibility of mankind is never um, meant for you to um, take your trust away from God's sovereignty um, in doing what uh, he has called us to do. Yeah, and neither one of those scenarios were outside of God's planned will, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, so go back and listen to that podcast if you haven't. Um, but, it, you know, let me just, I, I, I love the book of Job when we start talking about God's sovereignty. Um, I, I mean, it just, it, God phrase after phrase, sentence after sentence, uh, speaking to Job just makes it abundantly clear. Let me just read a few passages here. Um, and when we talk about God's sovereignty, we mean, I mean, God is in control and sovereign over everything. Um, I, I think of just several things off the top of my head, like the whole weather control. Um, we're not going to destroy the climate. Uh, but we don't have that power. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be good stewards of what we have, but um, all this just absolute bizarre, crazy stuff of how everyone's going to die in the next 15 years if we don't do something immediately, um, that's just nonsense. We don't have that power. We don't have that authority. Um, whether or not, you know, for for me, whether or not the SBC, you know, um, implodes or explodes or gets smaller or grows larger, uh, that God's sovereign over all that. Um, it, you know, our current president and our current leadership, uh, we have that ultimately because somehow that fits within God's plan. You know, we rulers and kings are set up by God and they're, they're dethroned by God. Um, sometimes we get rulers and kings. It's God's blessing. Sometimes rulers and kings have been given uh, because of God's wrath. Um, but it's all in God's sovereign plan. Well, let me read just a little bit here and then we'll move on. Job 38, one through 11. I'll just read a few passages here. So this is the Lord answering Job, right? After he's been going through uh, this ordeal, Satan's been allowed to, um, you know, touch his body and he's taken his possessions. Great book. If you haven't read Job, I'd encourage folks to do that. Then the Lord answered Job and said from the whirlwind, who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? How would you like to hear that from God, mm. right? And he goes on to say, now, tighten the belt on your waist like a man, and I shall ask you and you inform me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the measuring line over it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? 
or who enclosed the sea with doors when it went out from the womb bursting forth, when I made the cloud its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling bands, and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I said, as far as this point, you shall come, but no farther. And here your proud wave shall stop. I mean, those are, those are hefty words. And it reminds us that God created all things. And if you believe Genesis 1-1, that he created everything um, in the heaven and, and the earth and, uh, and the heaven and the earth itself, um, then you realize that he not only has um, all power, but he has all wisdom in order to do those things. And so that uh, those lines of questions from God to Job really highlight one thing, that God is the creator, we are not. And yeah. that's, uh, you know, when you think about Romans 9, when um, Paul talks about uh, how those who complain about God's will, you know, and, uh, and basically Paul appeals to the same principle saying, who is, the, uh, who is the piece of clay to say back to the potter, why have you made me this way, right? Yeah. Ultimately, God is the creator. Um, he is the, the alpha and the omega. He is the start and the source of all things. Um, we are in no position uh, to question him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, great, great verses there. And again, just you, when you look at the, I mean, go and just read all of Job chapter 38. Um, it, just look at all the just minute details of creation. And he talks about how the animals are fed and get their food and when they're born. Um, there's no way you can read through that and come to any other conclusion than wow, you know, God is involved in every detail of life here. Nothing happens apart from God's will. Now, we're not going to, God doesn't reveal that to us, why he does what he does. That's not our place. Um, but there is such an incredible confidence and peace. Uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, right, that said sovereignty was the pillow in which he laid his head at night, if I've got that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really what it should. It should free us to, to be even more obedient to God's word, to, to live life and enjoy what God has for us and to be obedient to him. Because we, you know, our life is in his hands. The fate of our country is in his hands. The fate of the world is in his hands. Um, we aren't, we aren't going to destroy this planet before God's ready. Um, again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be good stewards. The scripture makes that clear. We should, you know, don't throw your garbage out the window, put it in the stinking trash can. Um, but, uh, we, we aren't going to destroy the oceans and, and the planet, you know? So, well, let's move on, brother. We, we, we've already kind of hit the next one. Online church isn't church, right? We talked about that kind of already. Um, yep. I, I think we get that. You, you, you can't gather together on online church. You, take, you can't take communion. Uh, you can't go to the Lord's table on online church. Um, we're not saying it's not good. Uh, it, it's not beneficial, rather, at times. But if you're if you're still subs if you're sub- substituting real church for an online message, just know you aren't attending church and you aren't involved in church. Um, so find one and get to church somewhere and commit to it. Yeah, and just to add to that, I I hear every once in a while I hear someone accusing us of worshiping the pulpit, saying that well you guys are just saying that because you're pastors and you want people to be there to listen to you speak. Well, if it really is just about hearing a sermon, you can do that online. 
but it but church is not just about a sermon i mean that's a big part of it um, but it's about doing that together with the body of christ and engaging in fellowship and in prayer together and song together um, seeing each other being able to hold each other accountable being reminded of your love for one another um, it's all of those things um, it's not just the message but um, obviously the message is, is an essential part of that yeah, and it, you know, isn't it interesting? I I would I haven't looked up statistics, uh, so I'm going to make some claims here that I I just imagine are true, but I'm willing to be corrected. Um, I I would imagine that for the folks who are substituting actual church for online church, I would be willing to bet that they are not worshiping with the same fervor that they would be inclined to in a real church. Um, you know, your phone's distracting, you're, you're dressed comfortably, you're dozing off on your couch. Uh, but then beyond that, um, I guarantee that if you've substituted church, you aren't making an effort to do the one another's. You aren't visiting guys in the church. You aren't building relationships. You aren't encouraging other people. Um, you know, be- because you're already, you already embrace this mindset that says, I don't have to be around others. Um, in, in, in some ways, really what I hate about this online church idea is that it promotes a one Christianity. It, it, it promotes a religion of one, right? It's, it's all about you, yourself, right. right? It's all about you and what you can do and what's easy for you. But it, you know what? Your Christian faith isn't for you. The gifts that God has given isn't for us. They're for the rest of the body, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think back to um, just the last few weeks, we've had a number of baptisms and some very moving testimonies. And you you, you can get that online, but I think for the people that were there in person, mm. um, there, there's a strength and, and, uh, and, and a passion that you sense when you're there in person that's difficult to get in a recording um, or, or watching, uh, watching over video. Um, yeah, we, we, yeah. we just, we need to, we need to be together. We need to gather together. Church is not meant to be any other way. Church is not meant to be something that you just watch. It's something that you engage in. And to your point, you know, when we gather together, there's, there's accountability there. Um, yeah. there's accountability there. We're not simply just, uh, you know, um, getting distracted by, um, the internet, um, or looking at our phones or switching channels on the TV or, um, or, you know, jumping to the kitchen and deciding to cook something for ourselves. Um, our, our mind gets distracted in the whole idea of worship is that our mind is fixated upon a holy god yeah well you mentioned baptism try baptizing someone online how does that work yeah i mean right at least the person getting baptized has got to be there in person right you get that it doesn't work any other way you can't baptize yourself outside of the body of christ yeah and, and i mean and it's 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 totally unnatural to to be talking to people through a camera now people trained to do that, you know, newscasters and, and TV reporters and all that. And we as pastors, when the um, shutdown initially happened and we were doing online services, we had to kind of get used to that as well. Um, but even for those that, that are speaking, it's never as natural as actually having people there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, brother, the next one is CRT is antithetical to the gospel. Yeah, I, I can't believe we have to keep coming back to this. Um, this is turning into, a, once again, a hot topic on on Twitter. And, and now the push that I see is that if you're fighting against CRT, um, it's because you don't want to acknowledge the racist history of America. And, and that's a... That, 
that, that's a that's a total false dichotomy um, between the two. Um, you can deny CRT and still acknowledge that there is a history mm-hmm. of racism and oppression yeah. in this country. Um, but by denying CRT, we're not assuming that it's there in every situation and in every age. Of course, man is sinful. Um, we will always have the sin of partiality, which is what racism really is when we talk about the sins yeah. of the heart. Yep. It's a sin of partiality, hatred, and and pride. Um, that's always going to be there. Um, but but in, in certain ages, it, it's not it's not the dominating factor in in society. Um, it, you know, so you know when you take on a CRT worldview, you have to take on this worldview that someone is of a level of sinfulness just by the color of their skin, yeah. and someone else isn't just by the color of their skin. And so CRT is not only antithetical, but it actually introduces and inflames the problem that it mm. seeks to resolve, and that's partiality. I mean, it isn't uh, once again we we have. Um, and we talked about feminism this way. You go back to the garden. So much of these sinful ideologies and belief systems, they do exactly the opposite of what they promise. Now, brother, you're just saying that because you're white. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and that you know, and that right there. Um, I, I just, Except I'm you're not white to someone, right? I know. <laughs> I, I, w- I was just listening to someone that uh, said that they did a study of the schools from K through 12, and there's very little evidence, if at all, that CRT is being taught to our kids. And hogwash, okay? I mean, just because yeah. the word CRT doesn't show up doesn't mean it's not being taught. And right. just a person, if anyone says to you, oh, well, you're just saying that because you're white. Already, I already know that person's thinking has been dictated by CRT, whether yeah. they re- yeah. recognize it or not. And so people that have a tendency and pay attention, those of you guys who are hearing this and are struggling with people that um, that disagree and not wanting to, and, and you know, of course, we don't want to be divisive and all that, but people that say that CRT is not a factor watch how they explain things and you will see that the reason why they say it's not a factor is because they've already adopted tenets of crt whether they know it or not and they think the norm is really the worldview that is connected to crt so they're going to be less likely to be able to assess actual crt being taught it doesn't have to be mentioned explicitly all you have to do is say something like because you're white you are privileged boom that's crt right there yeah Um, Yeah. because you're black you know others need to pay reparations to you Boom, that's CRT right there. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it has pervaded the thinking of the people and 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 the worst and really this is this works to the favor of the left um, that the word CRT rarely gets used so they can fall yeah. back. We never even mentioned CRT. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and no. and I mean those are good points, brother. And again, I mean it, just the whole CRT would stand for critical race theory. I mean, anytime you break. Uh, things like inherent sin and you categorize people just based on their skin again you, you know i mean biblically that's ethnic prejudice right i and i it, it's no different than separating people um for any other thing just because they're black or white or asian or whatever and then saying well because of your skin color you're sinful but because of your skin color you're just a perpetual victim right i mean in and yeah. it blow, kind of blows my mind. I mean, who wants to be labeled as a perpetual victim? But that's what CRT does, right? right. So if if you're black or dark skinned or however they change this these days, I think they mix in some other ethnicities. By the way, there's only one race, right? The human race. The human race. Um, yeah. So it kind of starts off 
you know, ignorantly in that way, but there's only one race, but it, it, they lump all these. Uh, basically, if you're white, you're in the bad category, right? You're you're an oppressor and go back and listen to our podcast. Uh, we did one on on CRT, um, but this all comes from Marxist ideology. Uh, but, you know, so you're uh, if you're white, I mean, the premise is that you're sinful based on the past of your ancestors, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's against scripture, right? I'm not mm-hmm. responsible for the sins of of my ancestors. Neither are you, right? The right. sin, the sons are not responsible for the sins of the the fathers, and likewise, we're responsible before God for our own sins. But critical race theory um, says no, that's actually not true. Uh, not only are you responsible for anyone who did anything wrong that looks like you in the past, uh, if you're white anyway, um, if you're not white, you, you're a perpetual victim and you're owed. And by the way, you can never really forgive someone in the other group. So if you're in the oppressed group, you can never really forgive someone in the oppressor group. Um, and so forgiveness is taken away. But not only that, it destroys the work of the cross because now we're forever um, torn apart. They're, they're, we're forever separated. So in the church, now you have brothers and sisters who have supposedly uh, been made new, right? Either you've been giving new hearts, you're one body according to scripture. And then CRT comes in and says, well, actually, you're not one body. Um, you're still actually oppressed and oppressors, and it, there's no real forgiveness. And so it it attempts to destroy the work of the cross. It, it doesn't, obviously, um, but it attacks the work of the cross in the church when it when it does that. It's ex- it's extremely dangerous. Yeah, and they'll never say that they um, dishonor the work of the cross. They'll never say that there's no forgiveness. Um, but if you listen to what they do say, they don't mention forgiveness. Um, and uh, they, they don't mention the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, they Instead, they, they tie your sanctification with um, just your level involvement with uh, these storylines. If you're not um, fighting against uh, racism, if you're not being what they call an anti-racist, then you are a racist. Yeah. And, and that's literally what they're they're saying um so uh, a lot of these um a lot of these statements that you see i wholeheartedly agree they're not saying it directly though um, but if you listen to what they are saying they they are essentially denying it by their actions and that's really a good point they're not using a lot of these phrases and terminology and so one thing is it, it becoming an ally right and and what that what those things look like is just what you've said. You always have to be actively fighting against. You have to become an anti-racist, and you can never stop. And so, this when I say that um, it, there's no forgiveness, this is how it comes out, right? It comes out by way of saying you you have to now become an anti-racist, and you can never stop fighting against it. And so, it is a works-based system, right? And the moment you stop yeah. doing that you're just as bad of a sinner in their eyes as you ever were. You really never grow out of that. It's just that you're more accepted if you're fighting against it. Um, and, and that's just totally different to what we see and how we see forgiveness working in scripture. Um, and, it, you know, and then there's just yeah, all the it's, other it's, stuff. <clears throat> Jump in there, brother. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's kind of what we were talking about uh, with, with feminism. Um, they, what claim to defend go if someone of a pearl or doesn't agree with their narrative right um so you, you know they'll often tell us well you're denying crt because you really don't care about racism you don't care about uh, the oppression that is that's caused by it and whatnot well i, I can say now i look at people like daryl harrison 
and shoulder and uh, Vody Bauckham. And by the way, um, if you haven't picked up Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, pick that up. That's, that's the book to get started on if you want to know more about this. Great book. Yep. But I look at those uh, those three brothers as an example, and there uh, there's a lot of racist things being said about them. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of racist accusations being made against them, and it's being made, of, uh, of all people, by white people who claim to be anti-racist. So this whole whites are oppressing blacks, um, it's, a, it's a convenient narrative until uh, someone goes against it, then it's okay for a white to say negative things about a black person to condemn them and say condemning things to them when uh, when at the end of the day, it's just slander. Yeah, that's a good point, brother. And it's undeniable, right? Well, <clears throat> we're nearing the end here, number 10. So, this is the one where, you know, I haven't shared this with you. So, oh. I, I, let me just preface by saying this, brother. You know, none of us want to be divisive, but truth is just divisive. And so let's just let the chips fall where they may. Uh, number 10 is very simply that pecan pie is greater than pumpkin pie. <laughs> I will agree. <laughs> oh, see, there we go. We are united. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. Uh, so for the, for those of you who don't get that, uh, it, it's been a heavy podcast. We talk about a lot of things. I throw, I throw, uh, throw some, um, some lighthearted things in the end, but there was a big Twitter uproar at some stage. I think I posted that and uh, we got all the guys who were, you know, throughout the pumpkin pie thing. If you eat pumpkin pie, you may still be my brother and I love you, but you're disgusting. Um, no, I'm just, uh, I, I, I just do not like pumpkin pie. Any, anyway, <laughs> we, we still love you even if you do. Uh, but anyway, well, yeah, uh, we, we get, we get, a, we, we, yeah, we do get a lot of division. We do get a lot of division over those food ticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, and, well, and Malachi, anyway. especially yeah. Malachi and uh, Papa Jim. Oh yeah. my goodness. Those, some of their ticks are just, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what those guys eat, but we need to bring them up here to Alaska and serve them some real food. But anyway, well, and, um, you know, just for my friend, Alan, I'd just like everyone to know that Christmas is only 200 days away and we'll end <laughs> in, in our, our podcast on that. Well, look, thank you guys so much for joining us again. Uh, please do continue praying for us. Look, that's we, right. That's right. <laughs> we'd love to hear uh, your testimonies. If our podcasts have been beneficial to you, uh, we'd love to hear how we can pray for you. You can send us an email at truth at truth be known podcast at gmail.com truth be known podcast at gmail.com. And um, in the next couple of weeks here, we'll have an exciting big announcement for you. Uh, so you can just be wondering what that is until we get there. So thank you for joining us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.